Welcome to episode two of series two of Party in China. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Party Parsley. Oh, yes, of course. Sorry, we've met already last series. It's just that I'm terrible with faces, especially when I can't see them. Remember my voiceover gig? Well, the star of Outlook twinkled once more when I received a phone call from a Mrs. Lee, whom I'd never met, asking me to judge an English competition the following Saturday. Accordingly, I presented myself at my front gate at 8 a.m., and a young woman jumped out of the back seat of a small SUV, tottered over to me on high heels, high beamed a brilliant smile, and asked, "Are you waiting for Miss Troy?" I'd never heard of anybody named Miss Troy, but this woman was lovely. So, yes, yes, I am. A lady and a gent had already occupied the front seat, so I folded myself into the back, behind the driver, with the usual difficulty. Miss Choi had nimbly glided into the other side, and in the process of me getting my long legs and giant feet crammed in, I, at one point, had my head stuck in her lap. She wasn't embarrassed; just laughed at my clumsiness, which I found endearing. I didn't know where the competition was being held; didn't even know if I was in the correct car, for that matter. But still, managed some slight surprise when we took the road to Mianzhu. Both because I managed to recognise the road, and I'd expected the competition to be there in Diang. Mianzhu was where I had taught primary classes over Christmas for Barbie, and then been summarily sacked by Big Chief Shark Eyes. As we sped along the motorway, I drifted into a dream. Of bumping into that taciturn tool and kicking him in the cods to see what expression that put on his face. Miss Troy interrupted that pleasant reverie to ask me what I liked to drink. I answered, German beer, which caused a flurry of Chinese between the three of them. She amended her question to, "Would you like a tea or a coffee?" Neither, thank you. The coffee was almost universally awful, and tea could mean a brew made from submarine cave moss or pickled hedgehog quills. Mianzhu appeared in less than an hour, but that was plenty of time for my arthritic knees to seize up in the cramped space. When we stopped, the two in the front immediately disappeared inside, while Miss Troy waited and watched me stagger around the car like a zombie Groucho Marx. Trying to restore circulation and loosen up the joints. When I was finally upright and ambulatory, I studied the building, which didn't look like a school. From the street, it appeared to be a TV studio. Inside, it appeared even more like a TV studio, because it was a TV studio. The reception desk was the epicenter of much yelling and jostling by a few dozen parents and kids, all trying to get names put down on a long list. I was surprised to see one seven or eight-year-old girl in the crowd wearing hairpins decorated with skulls. Very goth, not very Sichuan. I wasn't surprised to see she had her finger up her nose to the second knuckle. You go, goth girl. 
Miss Choi and I bypassed the crowd to enter the studio itself. Seeing the set emblazoned with CCTV Star of Outlook English Talent Competition, I realised I had been in the correct car after all. On the right of the set was a podium with a camera pointing at it. On its left, a partition, and then another camera aimed at two desks pushed together side by side and facing the other side of the partition. We were rejoined by the other two from the car, whom I now recognised as the team from the voiceover gig the month before. I'd only really seen the back of their heads so far that day. And we all sat in the front row of the audience seats while it was explained that the competing students would first go to the podium and read a prepared speech and then come to where Miss Troy and I would be sitting at the desks for some English conversation. Miss Troy shared the ten questions I would ask each student. What is your name? How old are you? What colour do you like? What animal do you like? What food do you like? What sport do you like? What school subject do you like? How many people are there in your family? What does your father do? What does your mother do? The most popular animal was the dog, but only small dogs, not big ones. Cats came second. Other bombshells included blue being the favourite colour for most of the boys, pink for most of the girls. Hamburgers were the favourite food. Their chosen sport was either basketball or ping pong. The favourite subject was almost always English. Crawlers. I gave extra points to a young girl who had the guts to say maths. Points! Most parents were teachers or doctors. Many kids answered worker or driver. But one mother was a firefighter. Points! Lots of dads were farmers. One girl didn't know what her father did. So I figured he was probably a spy. Points! Several contestants liked football. Only one liked handball. Points! A very few preferred noodles over rice. And one surprised me by saying his favourite food was cheese. Points! Even the easy questions were often met with wide-eyed wonder. What is your name? Threw several of them into a tizzy. A couple started to cry. When my goth girl competed, I could see under the studio lights that her hairpins weren't skulls at all, just panda faces. Not very goth, very Sichuan. But at least she'd finished her nasal mining operations. As you'll have deduced by now, I get bored easily. So trying for some variety, I started asking the questions in a different order. Thereby discovering that the kids in the queue had either memorised the sequence of questions or the next boy's name was Banana. His favourite food was the panda and his mother worked as a Stephen. Miss Troy and I had a good giggle about that one. But mainly it was three hours of repetitive tedium until lunch was called at noon. As we returned from the break, I was assured that the afternoon would be more fun because the children would be older and speak much better English. That was a lie. 
I was given some additional questions for these allegedly more advanced students. What is in your bedroom? What is in your school bag? What do you do in your free time? What do you think is difficult? Why? What do you think is easy? Why? Fat chance. Why? Because the new lot had just as much trouble as the morning mob. I only tried the more difficult questions two or three times before it became obvious they were spooking the contestants. Still, some students were better speakers, so I'd give them some more time and try some more interesting topics. But in general, each new arrival heralded 90 seconds or so of panicked eyes and stuttering lips. Around three o'clock, I was wondering how much longer this could drag on. Mrs Lee had promised 600 yuan for a few hours' work, but the queue of nattering nincompoops wasn't getting any shorter. Miss Choi explained that I was to work six hours, not counting lunch or travel time. All right, not what I've been told, but all right. 30 or 40 uncommunicative kids later, it was 4pm and my six hours were well and truly up. I waited for someone to blow a whistle or ring a bell or something, but no. The queue still snaked around the studio. To make my point, I stood up and stretched and then went for a little walk. Miss Choi spoke to the organisers, then chased me down outside to say it would all be over by 4.30. I said OK and I'd be back in just a few minutes. Across the road was a construction site. Across almost every road in China, there's a construction site. This one promised perfect villa, wonderful time and a superb workplace above the commonplace. It was right next to an industrial area claiming that it diversified business uniformly. I could only surmise that these copywriters were former competitors in the star of Outlook English competition. On the way back to the set, I passed the reception desk where I saw a mother handing over what looked like a thousand yuan to the organisers. My first thought was that it was a bribe, but her daughter had easily been one of the best so far, so what would be the point? Joining Miss Choi once more, I asked if the families had to pay a fee for their child to take part in the competition. Her answer was a polite, of course. But her expression said, Duh, dum, dum, dummy, dum. That explained a great deal. Their level of English was actually irrelevant. The whole thing was a money-making exercise. I wasn't so much a judge as a performer in a cruel farce. Still, I felt guilty for giving some of the students such short shrift after their parents had shelled out hard-earned yuan. Half past four came and went. There were only a few students waiting, but more kept arriving in dribs and drabs. As we now had to wait for each contestant, we could actually hear them reading their speeches out from behind the partition. Every one of them was saying their name, their age, their favourite colour, favourite animal, favourite food, favourite school subject, what their favourite father and their favourite mother did for a living. The same bloody questions I'd been asking all day. 
yet most of them still couldn't answer me, even though they'd only just read out each and every answer. Once again, here's the gulf between their written and spoken English skills. Their teachers can't teach them to pronounce words any better than they themselves say them. Generations of Chinese are caught up in a self-perpetuating cycle of learning to speak a version of English the rest of us can barely understand. Now, utterly convinced that this was a criminal waste of time, I demanded to know when I could leave, and five o'clock was given as the new deadline. But at two minutes to five, another few families came in. These are the last ones, said Miss Troy. Around ten past five, some more contestants lurched through the door. These are the last ones, said Miss Troy. At a quarter past, some more wandered in. These are the last ones, yelled Mr Party. One of the remaining mothers laughed at me and said, the teacher is angry in Chinese, which amazingly I understood. Ignoring my scowl, she came on set and handed me her baby. I think it was to cheer me up because it did. Points. 20 minutes later in the car, I was handed an envelope containing 600 yuan, which cheered me up a lot more than the baby. Everyone apologised for keeping me longer than agreed. They didn't pay me anymore, they just apologised. And invited me to dinner to make up for it. But even free food couldn't tempt me. I don't think I could have stomached any more chilli that day anyway. So I made up a prior engagement, which no one seemed to believe really. To either reward or punish me, they turned off the highway and took me home via what they insisted was the scenic route, thereby awarding decaying buildings, muddy ditches and the occasional water buffalo in an empty paddock the alluring mantle of scenery. Back in Diang, I immediately escorted my earnings to Winita's for a blowout. Because of the unpaid spring break, I hadn't been there for, I don't know, a month, and my welcomes were tainted with complaints about my absence. Winita's friend, Dong Er, for instance, said, Long time no see, long time. Trevor had already told them I'd been too broke to come out and play, so I was an object of pity. There's nothing more shameful than not having any money. Therefore, as a welcome but disappointing failure, I was allowed to indulge in a long-awaited, well-deserved piss-up, completely forgetting that I was to start teaching at a private primary school first thing the next morning. Oops! In our next episode, an entirely new group of unsuspecting Chinese children must cope with a slow-moving, dull-witted, hungover version of me, Party Parsley. Their brave struggle and more next time on Party in China. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.